This episode of the OrthoBullets podcast will go over the topic of osteogenesis imperfecta from the pediatric section on orthobullets.com. Osteogenesis imperfecta is a hereditary condition resulting from a decrease in the amount of normal type 1 collagen. As far as the pathophysiology, osteogenesis imperfecta can result from decreased collagen secretion or production of abnormal collagen. Osteogenesis imperfecta leads to insufficient osteoid production because physeal osteoblasts cannot form sufficient osteoid and periosteal osteoblasts cannot form sufficient osteoid and therefore cannot remodel normally. As far as genetics, 90% of osteogenesis imperfecta patients have an identifiable genetic mutation in collagen 1A1 and collagen 1A2. This causes abnormal collagen cross-linking via a glycine substitution in the pro-collagen molecule. And as far as the inheritance, there are autosomal dominant and autosomal recessive forms. Milder autosomal dominant forms include types 1 and 4. Severe autosomal recessive forms include types 2 and 3. CRTAP and LEPRE1 genes are associated with severe, lethal forms of osteogenesis imperfecta that are not associated with a primary structural defect of type 1 collagen. Orthopedic manifestations of osteogenesis imperfecta include bone fragility and fractures, in which fractures heal in a normal fashion initially, but the bone does not remodel, and this can lead to progressive bowing. Other orthopedic manifestations include ligamentous laxity, short stature, scoliosis, codfish vertebrae, which are the result of compression fractures, basilar invagination, alecranon apophyseal avulsion fractures, coxivara in 10% of patients, and or congenital anterolateral radial head dislocations. Non-orthopedic manifestations include blue sclera, dysmorphic triangular-shaped facies, hearing loss, which occurs in 50% of adults with osteogenesis imperfecta, and this may be conductive, sensorial, or mixed. Other non-orthopedic manifestations of OI include brownish opalescent teeth, also known as dentinogenesis imperfecta, which is an alteration in dentin and causes brown-slash-blue teeth that are soft, translucent, and prone to cavities. Osteogenesis imperfecta affects primary teeth more than secondary teeth. OI patients can have Wormian skull bones, which are like puzzle piece intrasutural skull bones. Patients can have hypermetabolism, which can lead to hyperhidrosis, tachycardia, tachypnea, heat intolerance, and an increased risk of malignant hyperthermia. OI patients tend to have thin skin that is prone to subcutaneous hemorrhage. Cardiovascular manifestations in OI patients include mitral valve prolapse and aortic regurgitation. As far as relevant anatomy, Type 1 collagen is the most important structural protein of bone, skin, tendon, dentin, and sclera. It has a triple helix structure that is two alpha-1 chains coded by collagen 1A1 gene and one alpha-2 chain coded by the collagen 1A2 gene. The triple helix structure is possible because of a glycine at every third amino acid residue. Genetic mutations alter the triple helix by substitution of glycine with another amino acid. Now, let's quickly go through the classification of osteogenesis imperfecta. Silence originally classified osteogenesis imperfecta into four types. However, it is most likely a continuum of disease. Additional types have been added, and 90% of patients can be grouped into silence type 1 and type 4. 
type 1 has an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern and is a quantitative disorder in collagen compared to the other three types, which are qualitative disorders in collagen. Type 1 patients have blue sclera, and this tends to be the mildest form of osteogenesis imperfecta. It presents at preschool age and therefore is known as the TARDA form. Hearing deficits can be found in 50% of type 1 patients, and type 1 is divided into type A and B based on tooth involvement. Type 2 has an autosomal recessive inheritance pattern and is a qualitative disorder in collagen. These patients also have blue sclera, and this type tends to be lethal in the perinatal period. Type 3 also has an autosomal recessive inheritance pattern and is a qualitative disorder in collagen. Sclera tends to be normal in these patients, however type 3 patients often have fractures at birth and tend to have progressively short stature. Type 3 is the most severe survivable form of osteogenesis imperfecta. Type 4 has an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern and is also a qualitative disorder in collagen. These patients also have normal sclera, and type 4 tends to have moderate severity. Bowing bones and vertebral fractures are common. Hearing tends to be normal, and like type 1, type 4 is divided into type A and type B based on tooth involvement. Type 5, 6, and 7 have been added to the original classification system, and these have no type 1 collagen mutation, but have abnormal bone on microscopy and a similar phenotype. Type 5 has an autosomal dominant inheritance pattern and is associated with hypertrophic callus after fracture. Type 5 patients can have congenital anterolateral radial head dislocation as well as ossification of the interosseous membrane between the radius and ulna as well as the tibia and fibula. Type 6 has an autosomal recessive inheritance pattern. It has moderate severity and tends to be somewhat similar to type 4 osteogenesis imperfecta as far as phenotype. Type 7 also has an autosomal recessive inheritance pattern, but is associated with coxivara and rhizomelia, which refers to a disproportion of the length of the proximal limb, such as the shortened limbs of achondroplasia or some other disorder of the hip or shoulder. As far as the presentation of osteogenesis imperfecta, mild cases include multiple fractures during childhood, and severe cases present with fractures at birth and can be fatal. The number of fractures typically decreases as the patient ages and usually stops after puberty. Basilar invagination presents with apnea, altered consciousness, ataxia, or myelopathy, and you will usually see this in the third or fourth decades of life, but it can be as early as the teenage years. On physical exam, multiple fractures leads to a saber shin appearance of the tibia as well as bowing of the long bones. A Trendelenburg gait may be seen if coxivara is present. And to review, coxivara is a deformity of the hip whereby the angle between the head and the shaft of the femur is reduced to less than 120 degrees, which results in the leg being shortened and the development of a limp. Images of osteogenesis imperfecta patients usually involves radiographs which show thin cortices, generalized osteopenia, saber shins, coxivara, and skull radiographs may reveal wormian bones. Laboratory evaluation may show a mildly elevated alkaline phosphatase, Histology will show increased diameter of herversion canals and osteocyte lacunae, replicated cement lines, increased number of osteoblasts and osteoclasts, decreased number of trabeculae, as well as decreased cortical thickness. Diagnosis of osteogenesis imperfecta is based on family history associated with typical radiographic and clinical features. There are no commercially available diagnostic tests or labs due to a variety of genetic mutations. 
laboratory values are typically within normal range. Possible methods to help with the diagnosis include skull radiographs to look for Wormian bones, fibroblast culturing to analyze type 1 collagen, which is positive in 80% of type 4 OI patients, and this can be used for confirmation of diagnosis in equivocal cases. Collagen analysis of a punch biopsy can help with diagnosis, as well as an iliac crest biopsy, which shows a decrease in cortical widths and cancellous bone volume with increased bone remodeling. As far as fracture prevention and osteogenesis in perfecta patients, early bracing is indicated to decrease deformity and lessen fractures. Bisphosphonates are indicated in most cases of OI to reduce fracture rate, pain, and improve ambulation. There tends to be marked improvement in pain at one to six weeks after initiation. Bisphosphonates inhibit osteoclasts, therefore they increase cortical diameter by 88% and increase cancellous bone volume by about 46%. Bisphosphonates do not affect the development of scoliosis in osteogenesis in perfecta patients. Beware that chronic bisphosphonate use causes horizontal metaphyseal bands, which are seen on radiographs. These are also known as growth arrest lines. Make sure to maintain a bisphosphonate-free period around the time of intramedullary rotting as it can interfere with healing. And with that being said, bisphosphonates interfere with osteotomy healing way more than fracture healing. Growth hormone can also be used for fracture prevention, and bone marrow transplantation has been used with some success. As far as fracture treatment, non-operative management includes observation, which is indicated if the child is less than two years old, and basically you'll treat these fractures the same way as a child without osteogenesis imperfecta. Operative intervention can take the form of fixation with telescoping rods or fixation with a load-sharing device. Fixation with telescoping rods are considered in patients over two years old to allow continued growth. Fixation with a load-sharing device is also considered in patients over two years old for a fracture with a deformity beyond the accepted tolerances after close reduction. Treatment of long bone bowing deformities is always operative and involves a realignment osteotomy with rod fixation, also known as a Sofield-Miller procedure. The indications for this is a severe deformity to reduce fracture rates, and techniques include non-telescopic devices such as Rush rods and Williams rods, as well as telescopic devices including Sheffield rods, Bailey Debau rods, and Fassier Deval rods. As far as treatment of scoliosis, keep in mind that the vital capacity drops to 40% of expected for a 60-degree curve. Non-operative management in the form of observation is indicated if a curve is less than 45 degrees. Bracing is ineffective and not recommended because of the fragility of the ribs in osteogenesis imperfecta patients. Operative intervention for scoliosis in OI patients includes posterior spinal fusion, which is indicated for curves greater than 45 degrees in mild forms and greater than 35 degrees in severe forms. The technique is obviously challenging due to the fragility of bones. You should consider using allograft instead of iliac crest autograft in these patients due to the paucity of bone. Anterior spinal fusions are only indicated in very young children to prevent the crankshaft phenomenon. And keep in mind that spine fusions for scoliosis and osteogenesis in perfecta patients is associated with a large amount of blood loss. As far as treatment of basilar invagination in OI patients, this will be operative in the form of decompression and posterior fusion, and this is indicated where there are radiographic features of invagination and cord compression with physical exam findings of myelopathy. The technique basically involves resection of bony compression via a transoral approach. 
That's all for this review about Osteogenesis Imperfecta. Hopefully that was helpful. Look out for questions related to this topic on this weekend's question session, and hopefully this episode will have prepared you for that review. This is the OrthoBullets podcast, a daily audio review session by OrthoBullets, the free learning and collaboration community for orthopedic surgery education. If you're enjoying the podcast so far, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and writing us a review on iTunes. It will help us spread the word and increase our discoverability tremendously. Thanks so much, and we'll see you all tomorrow.